Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. So, Dor- Dorothy, listen, I'm going to start this podcast right now. Usually, usually yeah. I've got my co-host Dave with me, and yeah. usually we do a little rambling uh, introduction, and I do some sort of interesting, uh, uh, you know, bridge over to our, our next guest. But uh, you are a, uh, a former guest of The Boiling Point already, so you know how, the, how it goes. And Dave, uh, I think he got uh, a little bit mixed up with um, his... Uh, his dad responsibilities and actually had to emergency go pick somebody up from school or daycare. I don't know exactly the details, but he does send his regrets. Uh, but we, you and I have lots, lots to talk about. And before I press record, uh, you were just about to say how excited you were to see Dave. In person. I, was. I was extremely yeah. excited to see Dave because if you remember correctly in the early days, pre COVID PC, right? Boiling point podcast was recorded and it was just social audio it was just you know me you and Dave having a dialogue talking about you know I think we were talking at the time and this is years ago now about you know Trump being elected that's how long it's been since we had our first conversation on boiling point we have talked obviously many times and I know what you look like and you know what I look like because we have talked several times outside of the genre of boiling point on things that we love like social venture capitalism and, and other uh, uh, items. Nevertheless, I have to say I was really excited to finally see Dave Vale. Well, you know, I love it when live and in person. Yeah, we can, we can make it we can make him feel bad. Uh, you know, we, I'm sure he'll be listening to this and uh, realize how much he's missed. Uh, <laughs> maybe it'll make him feel good. Actually, it'll make him feel good. Okay. And then the other thing I was going to say to you as well, you know, I, the thing I love about you guys is that you always try, you know, to say my name properly. <laughs> and I've always, and no, 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 listen, now listen, Dorotea Bozi Colonna is not like, it doesn't fall off the tongue like Greg Hemmings. Dorotea Bozi Colonna Volpe. Did I, do, did I do okay? Yeah, you got it right. I remember the first Boiling Point podcast, you were like, okay. How do you want us to introduce you? And I remember we joked around about the fact that my name is so bloody long and I got, I was, you know, I was bullied like crazy as a kid. But now you know that you, when you, you, you grow into things in life and I've grown into, you know, my name and I'm quite proud of it. So there's that. Yeah, well, you, you've got a, a very recognizable name and that's, that's your whole thing, you know, from uh, um, your company is Social Espionage and yeah. um, you help, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you what you do, but you're going to correct me, but you help uh, entrepreneurs stand out in a, in a loud, noisy market. And having a name like that is actually quite a blessing because it's memorable, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and people see it uh, out there and like, oh yeah, I know who Georgie is. Yeah. And I will say that building brands out of people is only one of the things that I do. As you know, I also work in the area of marketing strategy as it pertains to you know small businesses all the way to the enterprise in the areas of everything from marketing, social media marketing, influencer marketing, creating loyalty, um, referral programs, 
you name it. Um, I'm very proud to say that Social Espionage this year in March um, turned 17 years old. So nice. Look at that. I must You're be doing something right. You're al almost old enough. No, you got a few more years so you can drink. You got four more years in the U.S. You poor, poor, poor people. I know. Um, you Canadians have it right, man. <laughs> you guys can drink at 18, can't you? Well, in, in, I think in two provinces is 18. It's 19. Here's the thing that drives me nuts. You can go to war and, and sacrifice your life for your country in the right. U.S. at 18 years old, but you're not allowed to legally drink a beer or a glass of wine. Which makes What's wrong no with that? Yeah. But, you know, they changed that, I think, around the time of the Vietnam War. Um, I wasn't around then, but I will say that, you know, everybody has their purposes for doing what they're doing. Here's the thing. I would like to see people have to get a license to have a child. I'd like to see people to get a license to have a gun. I, just like having a gun, right, or, or driving a car. Because I think there are a great number of irresponsible people out there, and I'd like to, I'd like to institute responsibility. I'm probably oh, yeah. going to get canceled for that comment. Now I'm, I'm so excited. Oh, good. Hey, that, that was a really good. That's a great uh, segue. It's a segue. segue. It's a topic. Yeah. You, you actually usually I'm the one that nails the segue, uh, but uh, you nailed the segue on that. So you and I were were having a good productive um, um, conversation about cancel culture last time we chatted. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it really has become very topical and you know, for me, being somebody who's always trying to understand where movements come from and what the purpose of people's perspectives are, um, I am quite interested in understanding the roots of the change that needs to be made that has resulted in cancel culture, which is not necessarily a positive thing mm. or productive, but perhaps it is if it's about trying to force change quickly. So I am personally wide open to this, this uh, debate, um, not debate with you, but debate in, uh, in general, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. In I, general, I, because cancel culture is something I hope does not last long, but I hope that there's a disruption that happens that happens quickly and the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, let's just start with the extreme, right. um, taking people like that down, mm -hmm. um, sends a message to like deep change can happen quickly. If, if, if somebody gets canceled at the highest ranks of whatever their areas whatever of influence industry are. they're in. Yeah. I, I so, agree. Um, but I feel, I think this is a perspective you're going to come, come from is if not handled correctly and carefully, it's going to create more divides in people and people are going to stop listening to each other's perspectives. And that's what I'm afraid of. But I see it as a, as a very effective tool, almost a weapon for extreme change. But I would be fearful if it, if it was something, if it was a culture that ended up lasting for generations, because uh, yeah. I like unity, um, but I have no patience for, for bullshit, like, like the abuses that happen that are being canceled right now. So I understand the heart of the desire. Anyway, look, this is you. I just want to set my context for you. Like you and I talked about it on the phone last time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I really lo love to hear your, your perspective because you brought it up initially, Dorothea. And uh, uh, yeah, what, what, what's your thoughts on the topic? Well, I wanted to quote this article that I sent you because I thought it was really interesting. We started to see, dare I say it, cancel culture beginning to rise. I don't think it's hit its climax yet. So 
unlike you, I don't, I don't have as optimistic a view. All right. I'm in Canada right? as well. It's I know. Canadians are always so nice. Um, <laughs> you know, and I'm American born, but European raised. What I'll say to you is that I agree with, I agree with your view as it pertains to if it takes down a captain of industry and it helps reform the behavior of that industry, Harvey Weinstein is a really great example of that. I feel that that is a good thing. What I'm concerned about is it being deleterious to free speech. And I want to quote this article if I may, and then I wanna give you a couple of examples, both left and right, okay? Um, so if I may, I'm just going to jump into it. So the article's from Harper's uh, Magazine. It's from July 7th, uh, 2020, last year. And it was a letter on justice and open debate. And it was written and then signed by several people. I mean, tons of, you know, people who are in both, you know, educators as well as thought leaders, actors, actresses, playwrights, you name it. And, and one of the things that I thought was so brilliant and so lovely in how it was articulated is as follows. The free exchange of information and ideas, the lifeblood of a liberal society, is daily becoming more constricted. While we have come to expect this on the radical right, censorousness is also spreading more widely in our culture, an intolerance of opposing views, a vogue for public shaming and ostracism, and the tendency to dissolve complex policy, policy issues in a blinding moral certainty. We uphold the value of robust and even caustic counter speech from all quarters, but it is now all too common to hear calls for swift and severe retribution in response to perceived transgressions of speech and thought. More troubling still, institutional leaders in a spirit of panicked damage control are delivering hasty and disproportionate punishments instead of considering reforms. Editors are fired for running controversial pieces Books are withdrawn for allegedly inauthenticity. Journalists are being barred from writing on certain topics and professors are investigated for quoting works of literature in class. A researcher is fired for cir circulating a peer reviewed academic study and the heads of organizations are ousted for what are sometimes just clumsy mistakes. Whatever the arguments around each particular incident, the result has been to steadily narrow the boundaries of what can be said without the, th the threat of reprisal. We are already paying the price in greater risk aversion among writers, artists, and journalists who fear for their livelihoods if they depart from the consensus or even lack sufficient zeal in argument. The stifling atmosphere will ultimately harm the most vital causes of our time. The restriction of debate, whether by, by a repressive government or an intolerant society, invariably hurts those who lack power and makes everyone less capable of democratic participation. And the thing that I really loved about all of that is that it's wrapped around something I talked about this past Monday, which was what Tuesday actually on, on Instagram, which was freedom of speech. You know, it's one of the things that both Canadians and United States citizens hold dear. And I don't know if you know this, but Monday was Bob Dylan's birthday. He turned 80. We did know and, that. And we, yeah, we celebrated. Yeah. We celebrated here with my friend, uh, uh, booked up the Imperial Theater. Brent Mason, mm -hmm. and uh, every year on his birthday, uh, all the local musicians come and play Dylan tunes, and it was great. Yeah. But if you think about it, during the time frame with which that he hit, let's say, his, his, you know, his theatrical height, right, as an artist, was a time of reform, was a time of progressiveness. They were, uh, you know, they were protesting what the government was doing, a war that we were in to, you know, Vietnam that people didn't agree with. And then think about Tuesday, George Floyd. 
-hmm. You know, George Floyd, un you know, unfortunately his death, he was murdered, okay, really caused a ripple effect around the world. And that you saw, you know, Black Lives Matter protests in Paris, in Berlin, you know, in, in St. Louis, Missouri, in New York, in, you know, in Toronto, Canada, in Atlanta, Georgia. But the flip side of that is that there are a great number of people I feel that are being ostracized. And, you know, maybe it's also because of, I think, the time with which that we were raised. You know, I always believed that you didn't have to agree with somebody, but you certainly had to listen to their point of view, especially mm -hmm. if they were a leader, an elder, right? And then you form your own opinion. I mean, going to university, going to school in general, from the time you're in, you know, pre-school uh, to, you know, 12th grade, you're learning so much about the world. And over time, this is the time where you kind of start to, you know, begin to form an opinion. Then you go away to university and, you know, you studied film and, and, and you know, you, you probably saw some of the work of Fellini, you know, some of the work of, uh, of Spielberg. And you, you start to form opinions, right? Um, during the time of the Trump administration, um, uh, a very conservative uh, 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 female, oh God, why is her name? It's escaping me now. She's blonde and, and very, um, she's very sought after in the Republican and very conservative worlds and culture. So she was going to speak to a, a university. Forgive me, I can't remember which one it is now. I want to say it might have been Berkeley or Stanford. And a group of kids said, because of what, you know, students, so because of what she stood for and what she was trying to convey or communicate in her sort of conservative point of view, that offended them. And they created a petition and literally boycotted her from speaking at the school. And it was just something that like that school did have a, a conservative club that was going to host her and everything else. And I thought, well, gosh, whether you believe in what the person is saying or agree with it, it's food for thought. You know, then, then on the other side, you know, you have somebody like, we, we talked about this, um, you know, the, the writer of uh, all the Harry Potter books. Jake okay. Rowling, yeah. So Jake so, Rowling is on Twitter. Um, one of the things I thought was the coolest thing that she did, because as you know, she was really living on unemployment when she was writing the Harry Potter series. And she would, you know, be in cafes that, you know, had free Wi-Fi and everything else. And she was kind of, you know, working these different jobs and trying to make a living to support her family. And the thing that I found so fascinating is that when she became rather wealthy, she gave away almost half of what she, you know, made to charities to help other women uh, become more literate and to build up female entrepreneurs, which I thought that's the coolest thing. So she takes to Twitter and she shares some thoughts, uh, bad or good, uh, on, you know, the transgender community, not being unsupportive, but just, you know, talking. And she just got completely and utterly obliterated and canceled by people who actually acted in the movies with which that her content created their careers. And I found that fascinating. Um, we also talked about Ozzy Osbourne's wife, Sharon Osbourne. That one I remember because I'm a huge Ozzy fan. I love Black Sabbath. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I, I think it's really interesting. So Sharon Osbourne has a show here in the United States or had a show. Um, it's centered around women and topics of the day political, you know, uh, education, parenting, sex, you know, food, nothing was off limits for the talk or the chew or whatever it was called. I think it's called the talk. And, you know, the Meghan Markle and uh, Prince Harry interview with Oprah Winfrey had taken place. And there are a lot of people in the UK that had opinions, one of which was Piers Morgan. Now, again, allow me to share, I don't in any way, shape or form 
promote Piers Morgan, <laughs> not a fan. But Sharon Osbourne evidently kind of grew up in the entertainment industry with him because Ozzy, you know, and, and Piers was known to be kind of the, the Larry King of the UK for a time, right? Um, she had said something along the lines of, you know, Piers Morgan has come out, you know, with some, uh, some opinions about that interview. And while I don't agree with him, he is my friend and I believe his voice needs to be heard. Just again, kind of harking back to the First Amendment. Then all of a sudden on social media and everywhere, she's being called racist. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. <laughs> yeah, so I think with that, Dorothea, and you and I touched on this as well last time we chatted, was um, the, I'm just trying, trying to figure out who the loud voices are. Like yeah. uh, going back to J.K. Rowling, it's like, yes, she got canceled, but by whom and for how long? You know, it's like, yeah, her books are not being sold right now and not being loved, right? Like, um, exactly. I just feel like, um, and you specifically, because what you do for a living, you are in the center of dialogues online where yeah. there's a lot of loud, loud, loud perspectives that take sides. And, um, and that's, oh, that's a great thing about social media. But, but because it's faceless in a lot of cases, people um, seem to forget the humanity in the conversations and the um we call them trolls or haters or whatever right it's very easy to to call someone an idiot when they're not looking them in their eyes right exactly. and i just feel like the sample group that is uh, that we're analyzing about oh you know so-and-so is canceled on online or got got ripped apart on whatever um i just wonder how impactful they really are in a cancel now that's that's different what what sharon osborne said about pierce is so much different than than uh weinstein right like totally oh different, yeah they're, they're just like you can't, even, you can't even compare that you know in my opinion but again we have what is our personal spectrum like what we find acceptable right and what we find unacceptable i'll give you a really good uh, uh example so seth rogan um just wrote a book he was on um Fresh Air with Terry Gross. I love Terry Gross. She's my spirit animal. She's awesome. I just love listening to Fresh Air. She's so cool. Great interviewer, as are you. But um, it was interesting because Seth Rogen was talking about the fact that, you know, the, the actor that he did, James Franco, that he did the, you know, the movie, the interview with, he won't work with him again because there have been several Me Too type complaints about his behavior on sets that had nothing to do with Seth Rogen 
that Seth Rogen, in an effort to be supportive of those women who I guess are actresses or working in the film or the theater industry, he's not going to do an interview too, let's say, right? And I get that, that is his personal preference. And I also have, you know, you saw Alan versus Pharaoh on HBO and you have, you know, it's really sad when you think of, you know, the, the subject matter, because it does, for anybody listening to this, it deals with pedophilia. And it's very accusatory toward Woody Allen, who by many, you know, opinions is part of the fabric of film, you know, globally, not just for the United States. And he really understood the nuance and, you know, that what made New York City culture, because a lot of his, as you know, his films take place in places like New York, London, Paris, he picks cities and he really gets to know the city and so on and so forth. And, and you and I were talking about this briefly and you go back to Michael Jackson as well. Do you separate the artist and his or her art, JK Rowling, Woody Allen, Michael Jackson, from, you know, let's say their career from their actions. And it's, it's difficult to do, you know, I, I've got girlfriends who are like, oh, I saw the Finding Neverland and I'll never listen to another Michael Jackson song again. And then I was physically present with them in the car and we were singing, can't stop till you get enough, the top of our lungs, right? So you're right. I think we have a short memory. I think you're also right in that there are people whose voices perhaps are not as loud, right? Uh, And there are people who, when they were in an exchange like this, maybe lack the confidence of saying, hey, you know, Sharon Osbourne, I think you're racist. You know, they'd rather be trolls. Well, yeah, because if Sharon was in the room, would would one of those people say you're a racist? Or would they say, Sharon, what do you mean by your, like, like what, what, let's talk a little bit further about this. Like, uh, yeah. are you supporting the free speech or are you supporting the, the worldview, right? Like that, that might be the next question. And then maybe a really good dialogue happens and it comes an understanding. Now, this is where I have issue with Twitter and a number of other, Facebook included, and a lot of message boards and communities online that I jump in and out of is um, we have forgotten Number one, how to debate and why how, how healthy that is. We're uh, studying philosophy, you know, uh, entry level philosophy at university, and um, just understanding the, the power and the importance of having philosophers debate uh, issues. And it's not about disrespecting each other or putting hate on; it's about extrapolating ideas and defending ideas um, in hopes uh, of a greater understanding. And uh, I think social media, one of the negative outputs of it has been this really quick snappy reaction where the humanity and the emotion has been stripped out it's just like the first thing comes to my mind is you're wrong i'm gonna say it oh look look at that endorphin rush because all these other people agree with me Ooh, look i'm not alone i you know i got some power so Mm -hmm. then i want to rewind a little bit before that unfortunate unintended uh, impact of social media but what happened to our education system where we forgot to teach our kids about critical thinking and why are so many adults in Canada and the U S and around the world, not able to just step back for a second and say, there's a very good chance Sharon Osbourne's not a racist because you know, like that's a critical thought. Maybe she is. I, how would I know? I've got no data um, to tell me who she is or not, but 
uh, I guess my critical thinking side of me tells me I don't have enough real firsthand primary information to make a real judgment on that. But am I the only one or are you the only one that were taught the ideas of just thoughtful mm -hmm. process and critical thinking and, and understanding that there are always at least three sides to a story? Um, and I say these things not out of judgment to this current generation that is, is on fire right now, but my concern of all of this, whether it's cancel culture or, or extreme right, extreme left, yeah. is we are dividing each other further and further and further where we could be using this time to bring us together and get into the middle, conservatives, liberals, whatever, get into the middle, find out what we all care about at the same time, the same things we care about, and respect each other on that, and, and work out our differences and celebrate our differences. If everybody comes with love and respect, those two things, that's it, they're kind of baked in with each other, then there's going to be, you know, fear will be reduced. Let's use conservatives or liberals are afraid of the other side because all, let's pretend, the majority of liberals feel or fear that the most of conservatives believe in guns. Well, why are they afraid of that? Well, they're afraid of safety. They're afraid of whatever the thing is. Right. But if you actually look at the middle, most people want to have safe places to bring their families up. Okay, well, why, why are the neighborhoods not safe? There's systemic issues to discuss and dialogue. Why don't we together uh, vote on these things and try to get you know, left and right? Say, if these are issues we care about, safe neighborhoods, let's go dig in and look at poverty. And how do we address that? You know, so this is big. I, I can't expect everybody in the world to think this way, but I know that, that these polarizing sides can get to the middle and mm -hmm. dialogue. And there is a place for cancel culture as a tool for quick toppling down of, uh, of oppressive cultures and, uh, and structures. But like you, I, I think you and I are talking in the middle right now saying that um, without being kept in check, this could be incredibly dangerous and continued polarization. And this is me as a learner. Like I'm learning and observing right now how, yeah. how this all goes. Yeah. I want to speak to a couple of things that you said, but I want to bring up something that's very topical because I think people will be seeing this. Obviously, you're going to edit it and it'll be it'll come, you know, later on down the road. And please do share it with me. Be happy to share it with my community. Look what's happening in Belarus. You know, yep. here you have somebody who, you know, God bless him, he stood up for something and said people are being treated, mistreated. And I'm going to talk about it. And they literally got a fighter jet to take down a plane that other completely innocent people, not that this guy in any way, shape or form broke the law, not in my opinion, but in their opinion, you know, he needed to be, you know, uh, in some way, shape or form punished. And now he and his girlfriend, as we're talking, might be getting, you know, tortured. I don't know. But now all of the EU, as well as President Biden and, and other world leaders have told, you know, the head of Belarus, listen, what you did was wrong and we have you in check. The only person that supported those efforts was Vladimir Putin. Uh, obviously. Have obviously. our opinions of him. So that's one thing. The other thing that we think about healthy debate, and, and I'll go back to my childhood, you know, only girl in all a boys soccer team. And there were times when we lost. I didn't get a ribbon. I didn't get a trophy for losing. I got... You know, I, sh I was shown that, you know, you, you work as a team. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. In this day and age, kids get a trophy for just participating. And I wonder sometimes, is it 
the culture itself because they never want anybody to feel bad. We don't want anybody to feel bad. But the moment somebody does something that we think is wrong, we can't wait to vilify them, right? And I think there's, a friend of mine used this term and I didn't really know it because as you know, I don't have any children of my own, just my Leticia, my niece. Um, there are a great number of parents and, that, that use this term. And I was like, what does that mean? Lawnmower parent. And I said, well, now I've heard of helicopter parent, right? And I've heard of, what is a lawnmower parent? It says they mow everything down that's in the way of their child. <laughs> so when things like conflict or let's say- Getting into college or interviews. You know, yes, and miss, there's the sort of this, this mis, a misunderstanding happens, right? They don't know how to deal with it. They got to bring their mom into the interview or they got to bring their dad into the conversation or what do I do? You know, and, and I'm sure the parents are lovely because that's part of parenting, you know, to be there for your kid. But mommy's not going to be able to like go on a date with you, right? Mommy's not going to be able to go on your first day of work with you. So I'm just wondering, again, outsider mm -hmm. looking, you know, in, I'm wondering if the, the, the kids that are generation Z and A, have just been lawnmowered so much that when something happens to hurt their feelings, even if it's the actions of somebody that has nothing to do with them, this cancel culture thing comes up, right? Because that's, that's sort of like the volume that they know. That's the volume dial that they know. Oh, well, I will. Last year, uh, if you remember correctly, when we were in lockdown, a great number of people took to walking. They go to the park, right? Uh, that lovely African-American man who openly gay was a bird watcher and on his day off decided to go watch some birds in Central Park. And it's an area where they literally have signs up everywhere saying no pets allowed because a cat, a dog, you know, uh, uh, a security animal, a peacock, whatever, might, you know, scare the birds away, right? And literally, you know, he very politely asked a woman to ask, you know, move her dog away from that area, the ramble in Central Park. And the woman called the police on him and said, you know, I'm being harassed by and he, he did a full, you know, video of her saying that she was in some way, shape or form, you know, going to be harmed by him because he was an African-American man in a park. She called the police. Mm. And if you remember correctly, yep. you know, she was, you know, uh, divorced from her job. Uh, she was uh, really uh, vilified in the press. The co company with which that she had just adopted a dog from asked for the dog to come back. Right. But it was her own actions that caused this. Mm. In that case, I'm all for cancel culture because I think she's mad as a bag of snakes. But at the end of the day, I think we have to embrace healthy debate. We have to embrace critical thinking. And my concern is that there's going to be a couple of generations, right, of people who, because of the lawnmower parenting, they won't know how to deal with confrontation. They won't have to know how to deal with somebody who doesn't agree with them. Mm, I love it. Yeah, Dorothy, that's, um, that's really really good food for thought and uh a good way to wrap us up because we're, we're we're at time but um oh i'm sorry think, no no this <laughs> no, is great it's this, so much fun. uh in fact we, we usually keep the interviews around 22 minutes but when dave's not here i get to go to like 48 minutes it's perfect <laughs> um but i think that's really good food for thought and i, I hope that our listeners um will will take this and because a lot of listeners are parents as well and yeah the importance of understanding that yeah given the high five for trying hard hundred percent, but losing is, is okay. It's part of, part of the deal, mm -hmm. but also thinking very carefully that um, about, about the actions like the woman in the park, um, you know, 
she made a decision based out of fear, right? Does that make her a bad person? Up for debate. We don't know her, right? So, um, but that fear comes from a structural injustice that is much deeper than that situation on the park with that infant man, right? Exactly. This is a structural issue that, you know, the left and the right would all benefit from if everybody just came together and said, where are our structures of uh, oppression and injustice and, and racism, uh, you know, and, and how do we start getting rid of the fear? Mm-hmm. How do how do we get it so the so every single black male in in his early twenties or or, or or teens is not afraid of the police? That's a structural issue, right? Yeah. So I, I don't have the answer, but w- can we get those parties together and start having dialogue? And one way to hurt that that movement of getting uh, people together is us being you know ripping idiots on social media and and saying you know. Fuck the police, or uh, or the, or the other side, right? Like it's. Um, uh, I just think we have to be careful as humans. We're, there's too many of us on the planet to to cause huge wars. These issues are critical. They have to be dealt with, and um, I think the cancel culture thing is a proves to you and I that something's happening right now. Then, like Bob Dylan's time, there's something happening, mm-hmm. and it's. Uh, I think it's. Hard to see how, how long this is going to go, but what a great conversation, Dorothea. Thank you for this. You're very welcome. And if your listeners want to um, check out my Instagram, uh, every Monday I do a Monday motivation. Sometimes I'm late and I do it on a Tuesday, but they're funny as well. And my, my handle there is at social espionage, the name of my company. It's the same thing on Twitter and on TikTok and every place else. Um, but like you, I do believe, and I had a mentor that said that, that the world runs on two idioms, you know, there's fear and there's love, everything. How something is written, political idioms, how people think it's fear or love, you know, that's like, and I really feel like for me anyway, I really always look to love first. You know, who was it? Um, the guy that Mr. Rogers of Mr. Rogers neighborhood, remember yeah. what he said when he, he was off air for years and then 9-11 happened. And they asked him on PBS, you know, we really need you to come back and explain to the children what had happened to the United States. And very boldly, he looked at the, like right in the camera and said, kids, whenever you see something bad happening, like 9-11, you know, he was kind of recounting what happened as the towers were hit. And you see this on the news and you see the Pentagon and what happened. Look around you and start looking at the people who run toward the incident, the people who are helping. They're always going to be helpless. There's always going to be people who run toward love. There you uh, go. Uh, that's a great way to wrap it up. Dorothea, thank you so much. And uh, hope everybody uh, listening uh, connects with your uh, Instagram to see your motivations. And uh, we'll be chatting with you again very soon. Thank you again. Ciao. Bye-bye. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. Hey. 
Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. <laughs>